a listener production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Yes, and on this episode of Health Hacker, we're going to do some more Q&A. That's where we throw out to you what you want us to answer and you hit us back. Remember, you can always get in touch with Adam directly on his Manshake socials or at the website, themanshake.com.au. Adam, how are you, mate? You feeling fit and healthy? I am, my friend. I'm feeling very good at the moment. And um, yeah, looking forward to today's podcast. I love these Q&A questions and answers because I actually learn a lot myself. I stand on the shoulders of giants. So many smart people, we have the opportunity to spend most of our time researching, you know, these great topics around health and fitness. And as a result, get to apply these great tips myself in my own life. Let's get into it. Question number one is from Lisa. She says, I'm thinking of kicking caffeine do you have any tips? And now I know how hard this is. I get the headaches. I've got the <laughs> adrenal fatigue. I feel sick. I feel foggy. And then I end up going, I'm having a latte. Screw it. So I'm all ears as much as Lisa is. Why? Why do you want to give up caffeine? It's insane, isn't it? So look, um, <laughs> I, I can always put my hand on my heart and, uh, you know, writing my books, I've had to do some really extreme diets and exercise regimes as a professional athlete. And I've done everything. I've suffered immensely. And I can honestly say the one thing that I cannot give up is coffee. I can go about food for five to seven days. I've done a seven day fast of water where I didn't get to eat real food. And I can tell you now, trying to give up coffee is much, much harder than anything I've done, including SAS training or playing grand finals in the NRL or, you know, going on these extreme diets, by far and away, the hardest thing I attempted to do was give up coffee. So good luck, Lisa. I'm here to help, but um, it's not something I would recommend (laughs) if you don't have to. And why would you want to give up caffeine? You know, we know that it increases your mood, it increases energy, um, you know, it increases your focus, your physical performance if you're exercising. It just helps you bloody get through the day, Alex. It makes the day so much warmer and easier to get through, doesn't it? And uh, if you have a look at research too, you know, the benefits you know, from our health perspective, it's just immense. You know, cancer, you know, is decreased dramatically by people that uh, consume caffeine. Um, really? Oh, a huge downturn in like liver cancer particularly. You know, there's a 40% reduction in liver cancer, some studies are shown, by drinking four or more cups of coffee a day. Now, that's a lot of coffee, I know, but the studies go on and on. You know, for example, um, studies are shown to reduce type 2 diabetes you know, you, you decrease it by 8% by just having one cup of coffee. But here's the kicker. They found that people that had six cups of coffee decreased their risk of getting type 2 diabetes by 33%. Wow. <laughs> what? That is insane. And, you know, uh, I love reading for all these, you know, great research papers that I get the opportunity to look at. And, you know, a study with 83,000 women showed that drinking more than four cups of coffee a day decreased the risk of having a stroke by 20%. So these are big numbers. The these are not one percent. These are double digits. These are double digits. And the great tip here also, the interesting fact was they didn't get the same benefit if they consumed soft drinks or teas, which I found really, really interesting. So it's not just the caffeine that has the health benefits, you know, for a lot of these um, diseases, but it's actually the polyphenols, the antioxidants and the magnesium levels that are in, in the coffee itself that have these huge therapeutic benefits for people. And, you know, you talk about huge studies, like there was one with 330 thousand people. And they found that four cups a day decreased depression by 24%. Because it, it, it actually, it does, it makes you feel good. 
Oh, it does. And, and cognitively, it has such a great effect on the brain. Like you look at other um, diseases like Parkinson's disease, for example, it had like a 58% reduction in Parkinson's disease by people that had four or more cups of coffee a day. Alzheimer's disease, once again, reduced that dramatically. Um, heart disease, you know, which is the biggest killer in our society. You know, just by drinking three cups a day, it decreased the risk of having heart disease by 21%. Wow. Um, and all causes of death by a ma- massive 16%. So if you just drank... One to three cups of coffee a day, you reduce your risk of dying by nearly 16%. It's staggering statistics. So that's why I'm asking, why the hell would you give up caffeine? However, I get it. Um, all relationships need boundaries, Alex. <laughs> it's very important that you know we have boundaries and you admit that when you have a problem and maybe you are too consumed and obsessed with something, which I am. It's my personality. And when it becomes addictive... Um, it's not good for you. And we know that having too much caffeine um, can increase anxiety, can increase stress levels, it can elevate your heart rate, and it can really disrupt sleep. That's the big one for me is that a lot of people don't realize how much it can affect your sleep. Because when you think about coffee, for example, if you have a cup of coffee, say at midday, um, the half-life of that caffeine is about six hours. So that means that half of the caffeine is still in your system six hours later. So it takes about 10 hours on average to get rid of most of the caffeine out of your system. Obviously, we all vary individually and our tolerance to caffeine also varies. So it's, it's really important to understand that it's going to depend on individual. We have what we call fast caffeine metabolizers and slow caffeine metabolizers. So, you know, some people will drink caffeine and not get any result from it, um, whereas others are really, really sensitive to it. So, um, yeah, it's really, real, really interesting to, to realize if you are addicted to caffeine that Doing what I would call a simple coffee reset is something that I do recommend. It's a seven-day reset that I I do myself um, once a quarter. Essentially, what what I tend to do is on day one, Alex, I will halve my caffeine consumption. So on average, I drink four cups of coffee a day, roughly about 400 milligrams of caffeine, which is what most research indicates is the sweet spot as far as, you know, getting the benefits, health benefits for a lot of these um, various illnesses and whatnot to starve them off. Um, So what I do on day one is I'll go back to two cups of coffee. And then day two, I'll just re-ingrain that habit. So I'll have two cups of coffee again. Then on day three, I'll halve it again. So rather than have two cups of coffee, I'll go to one cup of coffee. But this is my little trick. I then add in decaf coffee as well. So then I start adding in a cup of decaf coffee and then from day four onwards, I then halve it again and I go to half a cup cup of normal coffee mixed with half a cup of decaf. I do that for the seven days, for the remaining three days of the, uh, the coffee reset. So that's how I get through it and that's when I do the reset. So, you know, there, there's some tips there for people. Now, you might be scratching your head going, well, you know, do I really get the benefits, you know, out of you know, drinking decaf coffee, but it's amazing, Alex, this is the kicker that um, research has shown that, you know, all the illnesses we said that it starves off, decaf coffee also had the same benefits because it still has the high levels of magnesium, it still has the antioxidants, it still has the polyphenols in it. And that's the kicker. That they're the things that we're looking for in our in our, in our diets and, and from consuming caffeine and coffee in particular. So, you know, you look at studies that showed a 14% reduction in type 2 diabetes, um, you looked at a 20% reduction in type 2 diabetes when people consumed decaf coffee, which wasn't as good as obviously normal caffeine. And there was 11% uh, decrease in, in, in strokes for people that drank decaf coffee. So there's still that benefit. So there's some huge double-digit wow. benefits through abstaining from full-strength caffeine and coffee and going to decaf. So it's got only about seven milligrams of caffeine in it. So be aware, it's still got some caffeine in it. An average cup of coffee, for example, has got 100 milligrams of caffeine in it. So you're still going to get seven milligrams, which is about the equivalent to one square of dark chocolate. So, um, 
you know, you're still getting a little bit of caffeine, but the thing is, is what is really occurring is the fact that it's going to do wonders for your body to help reset. So what you find by having a, a coffee reset as such is that the benefits from caffeine come from these receptors in our brain called adenosine. And these basically help block the feeling of drowsiness. So when you drink caffeine, caffeine binds to the adenosine receptors, and then this blocks that feeling of a drowsiness and therefore increases focus, um, it increases energy levels um, and arousal levels. And also caffeine in itself increases adrenaline dopamine, which, uh, you know, are very important. We know what, how important dopamine is for sense of well-being. Um, so that in itself also increases our mood, our energy and, and our focus as well. So what happens is as time goes by, the more co coffee that we consume, essentially what happens is our adenosine receptors become less receptive. You know, it's a bit like type 2 diabetes where people become insulin um, insensitive. So all of a sudden, you know, they're consuming so much sugar that their cells then become insensitive to all the noise and then they can't open the door anymore because they're just, they've gone deaf because they can't hear the knock on the door anymore. And that's what happens to your adenosine receptors essentially is that they're bombarded with so much caffeine now and everything from chocolate bars to energy drinks to coffee in itself, um, you, you name it, you know, there's even, you know, hydrolyte drinks now that have got caffeine in them. Everyone's trying to stimulate us, you know, because they know that it's an easy win to make us feel good and want us to consume them products. So what happens is our adenosine receptors become deaf. You know, no matter how much caffeine you throw at it, they just don't, they don't hear the knock on the door anymore. They're like, oh, there's too much noise. I've gone deaf. I'm not going to open up the, the receptor anymore to, to get rid of the drowsiness. Um, so the buzz is gone. It's a buzzkill. Having too much caffeine will be a buzzkill over time. That's why you need more and more of it to get that little lift me up. Now, we've spoken about it before. A great little hack that you can do is you can consume L-thionine, which is an amino acid with caffeine. And this really heightens the effectiveness of you know, drinking coffee as well. So there's a little hack as well in itself, but the reset will do a much better job at really heightening the, the senses uh, in your brain, these adenosine receptors. That's what I'd be recommending. Just this seven day reset, you know, before you know it, you'll be getting a buzz off, you know, half a cup of coffee before too long. <laughs> I think that's so interesting. At the start of the episode, you were saying, look, why would you want to get rid of coffee? Because you know what, it's got all these great benefits for you. However, conversely, having these resets as opposed to getting rid of it completely will actually mean you're probably going to save money because you'll be buying less coffees because your brain and your body is going to be more reactive to the coffee after a reset than it would be down the line where you need more and more and more. Exactly. And as an athlete, we used to do these resets all the time. You know, in training, we were recommended not to consume caffeine. We were, we were basically, you know, taught to, you know, train low, um, not just with carbohydrates, which was another hack in itself, where we would train where we didn't consume a lot of carbohydrates. And then on on the eve of game day, we'd load back up with the carbohydrates and we'd get a huge performance benefit because our body all of a sudden had these energy substrates that they weren't accustomed to on a daily basis. And that's like caffeine. You know, if you go without it for like five days of the week, you've got a big presentation coming up or you've got a sporting performance, um, you know, about to, to be... Um, thrown at you, all of a sudden, you know, you go out for that weekend run and you have a couple of cups of coffee and you've got the jet shoes on, you know, because your yeah. body become much more sensitive at, you know, metabolizing that caffeine. And, you know, it's amazing that a lot of things we do aren't so much dependent on the addiction of the caffeine in itself. It's more the ritual and the habit that we develop. I, I don't know about you, but I love the smell of coffee in the morning. I love the ritual oh. of getting up, sitting down with the wife, having a cup of coffee and just bonding first thing in the morning. Um, and it's a funny thing that I did to my wife and she gets angry when I tell people the story. But um, when she first got pregnant, you know, the one thing, like I said, is hard to give up is coffee. And 
I sort of was trying to be a nice husband and very accommodating. I said, look, you know, I've done some research. You know, there's a special type of coffee that, that I found that isn't that bad for you and it's actually okay to use it. And she goes, well, is it coffee? Is it going to work? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's coffee. It was just decaf. Anyway, I started feeding her this <laughs> decaf coffee and I swapped out her good coffee in this jar and replaced it with the decaf stuff. And then after about two weeks, I said, oh, how's your, how's your coffee going? And I couldn't help myself. And she goes, oh, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, look, can I tell you the truth? You're actually drinking decaf. And she's like, what? You bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so she wasn't particularly happy with me. But once again, it just shows you, we know the benefits of the placebo effect. You know, we've spoken about it before, the nocebo effect, the placebo effect. You know, time and time again, research is showing, you know, one study which blows my mind to this day is the one that they did with people when they told them they were receiving chemotherapy um, and they were actually giving them saline. And 40% of the people in this study all lost every single hair on their body, even though they'll be, wow. even though they weren't getting chemo, they were just getting saline. So it just shows you the power of suggestion, the power of belief. Um, you know, it, it's it's crazy. So, you know, if you've got a partner like mine who's a bit of a bugger, um, you know, tell them one day to swap out the, the coffee for decaf and you might not even notice. <laughs> hey, mate, here's a question for you. Adrenal fatigue, they say you can get that from coffee. Is that a thing or is it not a thing? Yeah, look, there's a lot of argument whether or not it's a thing, but I think it's a thing. It's like, you know, a lot of diseases out there that they don't fully understand whether it was chronic fatigue back in the day, whether it was um, Lyme's disease or whatever. You know, you can't tell me that people that aren't suffering from these ailments don't have some sort of illness or underlying condition. Um, it's just really hard to put an exact definition around it and a, a prognosis. And that's why, you know, people can be nasty and, and people can be a little bit dismissive because when they don't understand something or they can't label it from a medical point of view, they, they they can somewhat be judgmental. So, you know, these things exist. You know, there's no doubt about it, you know, and you have a look at the society we live in today. We've got more layers of stress than we've ever had before. You know, we're overstimulated. And as a result, that's why we're dragging ourselves around and dragging our backsides and wanting to consume more and more caffeine because, you know, I, I really believe that our adrenals have never been more stressed than they are in modern society. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. We've got one more question to address on this episode, and this one's a cracker. It's from Simon, and he DM'd us and said, Adam, could I be getting fatter from fasting. Simon, thank you so much for getting in touch with the podcast. Adam, over to you. The simple answer is yes. I even know from my own experience that, um, yeah, I, I was getting fatter from fasting. I got fatter from doing keto. And th this is the problem with a lot of these diets and, you know, probably people like myself who are extreme, like most of us out there, is that we think more is better. And when you have a look at evolution and when I studied anthropology at university, you know, what I loved about it was the fact that success leaves clues. And you have a look at us as a species, you know, how did we get to where we got to today. And the reality was that everything went in cycles and we surged in our activity. So we just did something in short bursts, but it was never prolonged. And that's like our diets. Our diets were never stagnated. You know, yes, there were periods of time and long periods of time where we would have been um, forced to fast because food wasn't abundant, or we would have been forced to not consume carbohydrates because of cold winters and, you know, vegetables and stuff weren't available. Like carnivore diet. Yes, there would have been periods where exclusively when we went to the Barren Strait, you know, where it was below freezing to get there, that we wouldn't have been able to consume vegetable matter. But does that mean that it was optimized for our performance or does that mean that that we shouldn't be doing it if we have access to it now? No, it doesn't. And that that's why a lot of people will struggle with, like it or not, 
once again, I, I call it, you know, a, a, in a sense of a word, I actually touched upon adrenal fatigue. I, I call it dieting fatigue. What happens is we do something and we think more of it's better, but it's not. It's like fasting. Some people think, oh, you know, I'll, I'll you know, go on this fasting diet. And if, I, you know, I'm getting a result from fasting one day a week, I'll do it, you know, two days a week. And before you know it, they're doing OMAD, which is one meal a day. And all of a sudden, you know, we've spoken about on past episodes, you know, their ghrelin levels, their hormones, their leptin, you know, <laughs> their metabolic rate, they start to lose muscle mass. And all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're wondering why it's not working anymore, you know, because their body's adapting. The body is a very, very smart thing and it wants to survive. That's what we're primarily here to do. Mm. Not thrive, but survive. So, you know, the body becomes very smart and it learns how to conserve energy. So if all of a sudden it gets all this data in, in, into it, realizing it's not consuming enough calories, what do you think it's going to do? Its metabolic rate's going to naturally slow down to protect itself so it survives. You know, we know that, you know, for example, that, you know, people that go on these extreme diets or exercise too hard, the body cheats. It, it moves less throughout the day to compensate. It stops fidgeting as much. We stop doing non-essential active um, activity as a result of, you know, not consuming enough uh, calories. So, you know, fasting and going on ketogenic diets for long periods of time isn't the way the human evolved to where we are today. So be very, very careful. You know, I, I'm a big believer. There's a lot of research around at the moment about diet breaks and the effectiveness of how they can actually be better than just going on straight diets. So a diet break is, you know, you might diet for a period of time and then do a, a bit of a reboot where you overconsume or go back to maintenance calories. And this has been found to have huge results on fat loss and weight loss. So, Because it stops your body plateauing, right? It does. And we've got to never forget that everything in life is a stress of some sort to our bodies. That That's the reality. Fasting is just a form of stress. Now, the other great thing is, yes, we know it's a positive form of stress. Yes, it will increase you know, your cognitive function. Um, it reduces inflammation. It helps with weight loss. We know that it, you know, decreases your risk significantly of metabolic disease. And, you know, even more staggering is the benefits that, you know, cancer studies have found. You know, a recent study that jumped out to me was, you know, they showed that um, fasting during chemotherapy actually helped reboot the immune system and expose the cancer cells to the chemotherapy treatment. So then all of a sudden, you know, they got a much better result from the chemo. So you can imagine like the cancer cells are very greedy. They're very hungry. And what, what the scientists argued was that they stay out and they stay hunting for energy. Whereas when you sort of fast, all of a sudden the healthy cells go, well, hang on, I've got to go into hibernation here. I'm going to just, you know, go and have a sleep. So they go to sleep. The cancer cells, the hungry buggers are out there searching, searching, searching for energy, for food and whatnot. So they stay standing up. The chemotherapy comes in. What does it whack over the head? The people that are still standing up, which are the cancer cells. Right. So really interesting, you know, research showing that, you know, there's some benefits for people who are also sick, you know, with fasting. However, like I touched upon earlier, I know with myself, the fasting was probably the straw that was breaking the camel's back in, in one of a better word, because I had a very stressful life at the time. My kids were young. I was working a lot. You know, there's a lot of stresses outside, you know, then I was exercising probably too hard. And then all of a sudden I added this layer on top, which was the fasting. And that's just a form of stress to the body. And the body's saying, mate, you've had enough. You've got enough stress. You know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to actually increase cortisol production. What happens is, well, we know that cortisol, you know, reduces insulin sensitivity. So that's going to make you fatter. It increases your blood sugar levels. That's going to make you fatter. It destroys your muscle mass. Well, we know that reduces your metabolic rate, which determines how much calories you burn on a daily basis. So you can see where I'm, I'm headed here, you know, cortisol makes you hungrier. It disrupts your sleep, um, in particular your REM sleep, you know, which is really important for memory and your mood and learning. So, you know, that's the concern for me. And, um, you know, in fact, an interesting study recently done in Australia of all places, and I'm really interested about speaking to the people from the University of Sydney about this, 
they did a study which was really interesting. It was using mice, I know, they're not humans, um, but they showed that it actually increased belly fat. Um, and the study involved basically putting the mice on an every other day fast. So they were, they were basically fasting every other day and they actually got fatter, which was really interesting in, in itself. They were getting like protruding tummies and they were arguing that the reason this happened is because the body went into what you spoke about before, Alex, the, the, the preservation mode over time, they become more and more resistant to losing the weight because they knew that the body wasn't going to get enough calories. And the type of fat that was actually spared during this preservation mode um, period was the visceral fat. And we've spoken about visceral fat before, but that's the fat that is belly fat. That's the hard, toxic, uh, endocrine fat. You know, it's an organ. You know, it releases cytokines and inflammation into the body. And we know this is the worst type of fat you can have. So this is scary that this happens. So, so you know, for all them people out there that, you know, we touched upon earlier, they're doing this extreme fasting, thinking more and more is better. It's actually not. Um, and yes, you know, mice have similar physiology to human beings. It's going to be really interesting to see the long-term research and findings from, the, from these sort of studies that they're doing now on what is the best way to fast. Adam, look, for those who have been on this journey on this podcast for a long time, they'll know that back in episode one, we talked about my weight loss adventure and that's how, you know, you and I got to bond and created this podcast. I did a similar diet. I lost quite a lot of weight, but then I did plateau. And look, we didn't know this stuff a couple of years ago when we started. And it's almost like too much of a good thing. Yes, these diets of fasting, they do help and they can help you like lose weight or reset your body or work on your metabolism. But too much of a good thing means it becomes no longer a good thing. Is that what you're saying? I am saying that. I'm applauding anyone out there that wants to make change today. It's just to focus on changing one thing and not going from zero to 100 straight away. Don't try and rip off the whole Band-Aid. And that's, the, you know, that, that's my success tip today to anybody that's out there. I always say that you can be anything you want to be in life, but you can't be everything. Focus on doing one thing and do it <laughs> bloody well. You know, that, that's the key to changing your health as well. You know, if you're going to pick, you know, a, a way to sort of lose weight to start with, just take stock of where you are currently. And there's no point going from eating 5,000 calories a day down to 2,000 calories a day. It's just too extreme. Um, and where do you go once you go to 1,000 calories? You've got nowhere else to go. You're just going to be tearing down muscle. You're not losing, you know, fat. You're actually just losing weight. And, you know, we know over the long term, this provides a much worse outcome for people. That's why they put the weight back on after they try a lot of these diets in the long term. And this is that great hack that you've always said, don't look at the scales, measure your 100%. belt, right? Is your belt getting thinner? Because the scales cannot show you the fat. Sure, they're going down, but you might be losing muscle. You're not necessarily losing fat. A hundred percent. And, you know, going back to the coffee question at the start, you know, here's a good example of where caffeine is so beneficial. You know, you get a lot of people that go, okay, I'm going to go on a fast. I'm going to give up everything. And I'm like, what, you're going to give up coffee while you're trying to fast? Why? Well, oh, you know, it's coffee. It's not good for me. Yes, it is good for you. In fact, you know, you look at the, the benefits of consuming coffee with fasting and it has a synergistic effect. It has a huge compounding effect when you add coffee to it, for example, like black coffee doesn't break a fast. I get asked all the time, what breaks a fast? Well, whenever you put something that has calories in it, arguably, is what breaks a fast. But coffee only has three calories in it, um, which isn't enough to initiate a, a metabolic response in, in the body to disrupt the benefits of fasting. In actual fact, you know, it increases ketone production. It can double ketone production, you know, just having a cup of coffee, which is the substrate of energy that you want when you're fasting as a result. Um, but it has know, to be black coffee, right? No milk or anything. Yeah, you just go black coffee. And, you know, if you want to add some MCTs into it, this will also help with... Um, 
um, ketone production, which will also heighten the benefits of fasting. And then, you know, it in, caffeine also increases audiophage, which means eat self, which is basically cleaning away all the debris um, that's been built up in the body as a result of over-consuming calories and all the damage that's being done in the body, all the, all the, the you know, the, the, the folded proteins that, that, that basically pile up in your body and misfolded proteins and all, all the debris and all the waste, that gets, you know, shuffled off much quicker by adding caffeine into a fast. So like we said, Alex, you know, you've got to be really careful about how many things you try to change at once. Why would you make things more difficult and less effective? You know, you think just because a little bit's good, more is better. That's not always the case. Before we leave the episode, you and I always talk about great sayings that motivate us. We thought, you know what, we should share that with your tribe. So Adam, we're going to leave our listeners each episode with something to pump up your mind. Little mind motivators. So Adam, what's this one that you've got to end this episode? Well, Alex, I do this every single morning and, and often before I go to bed, I read a quote or, or something that um, you know helps inspire me for the day ahead or, or give me the strength I need to get through the day. And I don't know if people have heard of Stoicism, but Stoicism, you know, was essentially, this was something that was used by the Roman emperors and it was a way of looking at life essentially. And Marcus Aurelius, you know, a very famous um, uh, Roman emperor, Russell Crowe made him even more famous. Yep. Good on you, Russ. But Marcus Aurelius has a great quote, which I like to read some mornings. He says, you have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength. So everybody out there today, realize that, that it's not what happens to you. It's how you react to it. Adam, and on that, remember, we love hearing your questions. So these Q&A episodes, we want to do as many as we can to make your life better. Send them through healthhacker at themanshake.com.au. Adam, speak to on the next step. Can't wait, Alex. Thanks again, mate. The Health Hacker, written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.